0: Welcome everybody, I'm Misty Burrell, the owner of Mindful Living Wellness Center here in Salt Lake City, Utah, a place to bring intentional healing and balance through physical, mental, and emotional care. Our goal is to help you in your journey through education of self-sustaining tools such as talk therapy, life coaching, emotional wellness, mindful yoga, and any variety of healing and wellness. Our purpose for these podcasts are to share information about staying well, however that may look like for you, our listener. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to Please Wash Your Hands. Today we have with us Aubrey Adams-McMillan, and she is a professor at Westminster College here in Sugarhouse, Utah. And we're going to be talking a little bit today, again, about silver linings and what life looks like before quarantine, after quarantine, during. I guess we're still kind of in it, aren't we, Aubrey?
1: (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs)
0: Just to let you know a little bit about myself, um, I started Mindful Living last year in 2019 with the dream to be able to help people just in really all aspects of healing and wellness. I myself was diagnosed with PTSD back in May of 2019. And a lot of what we're doing now stems from the therapy that I went through and was introduced to. So it's been really neat to see this come to life. It's also been really interesting as we started, we opened our doors at the beginning of the year and started getting traction and then the quarantine hit and we had to close our physical location. And really, I guess my mind just kind of went to well, either I'm going to sit back and do nothing or I'm going to do something. So what am I going to do? And I thought online, everything we can do online. So I got some of our people together and we started talking about making an online presence. And one of that, or one of those decisions was a podcast, which here we are (laughs) and um, creating some of our services uh, virtually. And then just Again, having that online presence with social media, and it's that's where we brought Alex into the picture. Alex is our common denominator here between Aubrey and I, and um, he's just been doing awesome with our social media. But tell me
1: a little bit about you, Aubrey, and what you do. I, well, I'm very multifaceted, actually. But how Alex knows me. Um, is through being his voice teacher at Westminster College. I teach in the music program. I am an adjunct professor there, and I have been lucky enough to have 12 to 20 students every semester work with me. And the beauty of a liberal arts education is that the people who come to work in the liberal arts are people who often um, seek mindfulness. Um, it's a word that is used quite a bit, but I, I find that once you open that box, it, it is Pandora's box talking about mindfulness. But that that's one component of who I am. Um, I teach voice. I'm also a professional singer. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I have wow. A, a, I know. I'm sorry. But I have a very fun history other. of singing. Sorry, um, you I were. have always felt that music chose me. Oh, wow! And I also have a mother. So I have three children, three boys, actually, and I'm a wife. And I have so many interests. I am constantly opening books and reading and trying new hobbies. Um, I recently planted a butterfly garden and looked really? into how to sustain the life of a butterfly. And wow. it has just brought me so much joy. So
0: you yes, gotta tell me a little bit about I do
1: a lot of things. And so obviously, because of that, I am the perfect candidate to pursue mindfulness on a daily basis. <laughs> I love it. You, tell me a little bit about your butterfly garden. Well, the butterfly—it's a—you uh, have to have a, you have to have varying kinds of plants, um, and those plants need to bloom all year long. Um, the first stage of the butterfly's life, you need sedum plants. And I have these autumn um, blooming sedum plants that are gorgeous. They turn this like golden autumn color in the fall, and throughout the summer and the hotter months, because sedum has so many little pockets. That's where the butterflies actually put their eggs, the babies. Oh wow! Um, and so that's where they get their beginnings, and then. Um, I have all kinds of things in my butterfly garden. There's milk thistle, um, there's coneflower daisies, there's um, what else is in there? There's so many plants. Do you decorate but it. I, I love it, and it's it's absolutely beautiful, and. Um, last year I had 10 butterflies in my garden, so.
0: Wow. And they, do they live there? Like they, they yeah. frequent. Oh, that is so cool. I love the visual. Isn't it cool? <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about what got you into the industry.
1: Sorry, going oh, back wow. to. um Of singing? Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I have always felt this way. I really do believe it chose me. Um. It's interesting. Performing didn't come easily to me. Um, musicianship did not come easy to me, but I think my passion was in my persistence. Um, and really, truly, over and over again, opportunities presented themselves to me. And every time I sang, another door opened. And so, I really do believe it chose me. Um. And it is, it's constantly teaching me every day how to be a better person, how to connect with people. Music is about collaboration, learning to look for the best in other people, how to um, connect to music that maybe you don't necessarily love, but someone else did. A composer somewhere loved what they wrote. Wow, and so for me, it's always an opportunity to learn to connect, and um, I find that m- music. I'm very disciplined. None of my teachers ever had to beg me to work hard, um, but you know, it's. Uh, I can't say that there was ever like a defining moment. It it, it just. It, I grew up in a musical family. My mother is a classically trained violinist. Oh, wow. I played the violin for 11 years. Um, I took piano off and on as a kid, but really just didn't love it. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure I fought with my mother horribly about it. <laughs> um, I've been there. But it's, <laughs> every time I have sung, a door has opened. Um, every time I sing somewhere someone reaches out to me and says, I I love your singing. Um will you sing for us? And so it just really has been the path that I've taken. I mean obviously I have an undergraduate degree from a fabulous school in New Jersey called Westminster Choir College. Oh wow. Um and I think that was where I really learned what music is about. And it's a gift that I have carried with me for many years and then I sang professionally and did young artist programs for about 10 years um, and every time I sang people would ask if I could teach them and I, I was really excited about the prospect but found teaching to be quite difficult really? um, and I wanted to know everything there was to know about it and I still do and so I pursued a graduate degree at the University of Utah, and I had excellent instruction there. And they really let me focus on the pedagogy component, um, which was what I was most excited about. And I still love watching good teachers. I like to see what they do and how they work with students. And so that's how I got to where I am. That's awesome. Um, tell
0: me a little bit about how work now that you are a teacher, you are the instructor. how does that affect your family and your your family life and the normality
1: of it? I think it has 100% made my family dynamic better. Um, I think to be an effective teacher and to have a reputation, where people trust you with yeah. one of the most vulnerable and sacred things their voice, their mm-hmm. body. Your body is your instrument. Um, and everybody has a unique story in their body, right? right? Yeah. And it's a sacred experience. And so I think there is a point for every successful teacher who has, a, you know, longevity in the career field where you have to surrender and learn with them. And if you don't, you're constantly dealing with power struggles. That's a who's in charge, statement. right? Yeah. Who's who's learning here? Who's um who's the teacher and who's the student? And I have found that the best and most organic learning comes when both the student and the teacher are passionate about learning together. And so that is what I try to to nurture. And I really feel like this opportunity to be a teacher at such a high collegiate level um, has been a blessing to my family because it's changed the way I look at my job, if you will, Mm -hmm. of being a parent. And Um, how you interact with your own children. mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy it much more. Um, I see that as a teacher, every single thing a student brings my way, whether it be that they have a more calm and introspective demeanor, or they can be a student that, like Alex, should have his own YouTube channel, right? 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 Um, There's so many... Beautiful ways to live and to be. And all of those personality traits bring out something beautiful in people. And when those are nurtured, when they see those um, characteristics as a strength, and when they're given permission to make messes and to try new things, the more permission I give a student, the better the outcome. And so That is true in the case of my kids and my dog. (laughs) Hold on. You're fine. Come here, Mama. Sorry. Oh, no,
0: you're fine. You're fine. You know, when you were talking about applying it to children and how it affects your home life, it got me thinking a little bit about my own interactions with my children and with my fiance's children. And this last weekend was a little bit tough, and I noticed a lot of acting out. And when you mentioned uh, wanting to learn right alongside, when I had stopped and did a little bit of introspect and thinking about what was going on in their mind, what was going on in their life, and I realized um, it, it made me kind of think I am, okay, I, <laughs> when I was listening to you talk about learning with them, I realized this weekend that's what I did and that's when my attitude started changing. When I started to understand what they were going through and kind of learn alongside with them and see how life's going for them right now versus just how I'm viewing it, I opened up. My love just opened up and we got along better and things started working out better. I love how you brought that out where learning with your students, learning with your children, how that can just bring more peace and really mindfulness, right? Because you're being present, you're being right now, what's going on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about pre-quarantine and post, like, and now? <laughs> what What was life like before quarantine and what does life look like right now?
1: Before I answer that, I just want to say thank you for sharing that, about your heart opening up with your kids. Um, because I had this, like, Connection to you because I have absolutely experienced that with my students, with my children, with my spouse, um, with my stepfather when he was passing away from cancer. Wow. It's amazing how, when you meet people where they are, miracles happen.
0: Yes. Wow. I just got
1: and love that. is there's no question that love is real and that mm-hmm. it really is what people need people need to be loved so I just had to share that. I love that um no it's organically so quarantine I think I think most moms most working moms um feel busy mm-hmm. right For sure um and I don't use the word busy as a way to sort of um, slack off of my responsibilities, or say that I don't have time to connect with people, um, because I do. Um, even though it's busy, it's full, mm. right? Um, my My life was busy. I have a son who was excelling on the high school swim team. My second son is just in love with math and science, and is constantly talking to me every minute about philosophies he has or ideas about the world and also is a golfer. And then I have a 4-year-old who is um going on 16 because he has these older brothers. So um they're literally on a daily basis if I am not mindful I I would really feel like I was in a hurricane. Mm. That most people um would just feel frazzled but it's full and it's meaningful. And I, for me, mindfulness switches always to purpose, right? Mm -hmm. You can't be mindful if you're not realizing that every minute of your day has a purpose.
0: Well, and doesn't the word busy itself almost make you feel like you're just grasping at the next string, trying to get to the next one thing to the next? Uh Busy. And and then when you said full, just the words itself it was more peaceful and in control in that sense of I got this it's full it's on mm-hmm. purpose
1: I right. I love how you worded that and I really every component I think in order to be happy and to be mindful, you have to decide that there are things you want to be doing right mm-hmm. um, for me if I if I if I think, I want to drive my son and his friends to swim practice because I can get to know them. That drive to swim lesson is I get to have a conversation with my son. It's the first time I've seen him all day, right? I get to drive these beautiful humans to swim. I get to know them as people. And then when I go to their swim meet, and I know that it's been one of the most trying months of their lives and they reach a PR. It's like the fact that there's laundry to be done, the fact that there's dishes when I get home, it doesn't matter because in that moment, I know why I'm there. And my purpose is clear and is to a support. Yeah.
0: I, I have to say, as you were saying that <laughs> my, my relating was um or my connection my son he works literally barely under a mile away from our house and i always encourage him to walk i think he should walk i used to make him walk to school which was quite a farther distance than this and i was so grateful because recently i kind of did that same thing what you're saying i took it in and i'm like this is an opportunity he has to practice driving this is an opportunity i have to spend 5 minutes with him I look, just one-on-one because he doesn't live with me full-time and so I started changing my mindset and as you were talking about that I'm like wow it is it's what made all the difference how I viewed it instead of are you kidding me I got to take this time out of my day to go drive him where he could walk and just this complaining aspect flipping mm-hmm. into this more intentional I want to take him because I get this time with him now like that was mm-hmm. beautiful and that even pulled it more alive out of me of yeah. Remember you do enjoy that time with him and this is a good experience. So thank you <laughs> for sharing. Oh Yeah,
1: that. of course. I mean, that when I tell people that my life is busy, what is interesting to me is, um, and definitely interesting, not from a place of judgment is I get a gamut of responses to that. I get pity. I get sympathy. I get, oh well let me just send you dinner one week one night a week. Or I get all of the there's so many responses. Um and I think it's interesting um because for me busy just means we're living. Oh that's beautiful. Right? You're Not lied. a You're single able. one of us is complacent to the joy of being alive and pursuing something we're passionate about, right? Every single one of us wakes up every day and we're excited to start a new adventure. And so, um, I've stopped using that word as much. Um, because whenever I get that vast of a, a reaction to something I say, I realize that it it gives um, that I need to be more specific because a word like that, people identify differently with that word. There's something wrong with that word per se. But that's one of the beautiful things about mindfulness, I think, is that I get to have that moment to reflect and be curious about those responses rather than instantly defensive and to prove myself or to, engage in any way right instead i ask, well do you have a second to hear what our day is is like and then um they usually will say yes and and i'll give them a typical day at my home and um that seems to be less there's less room for interpretation based on a word that has carried a definition based on one person's experience to the next. Because if the goal to get to know me is to really understand what my day is like, then I should probably be more descript than use a word like, well, busy. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's something I'm, I'm having, you know, a realization about um, taking in feedback. Oh, I think from, wonderful. you know, people's reactions to things rather than my gut reaction is to feel defensive sometimes or to feel like I have to explain, you know, right. But yes, pre quarantine was very packed with, um, specific, all of us have passions. My husband is a software engineer. I'm a singer. We People didn't think it was going to work, but we're just still <laughs> madly in love. Um, and, you know, it definitely at times there were lots of signals, probably once to twice a month of like, put on the oxygen mask, right? And so like, because we're all passionate and we're pursuing life and it's full and rewarding, that is also stress in a lot of ways. And so um, probably the most difficult thing about having a full life like that is making sure I'm really connecting with everyone and going, okay, is this shortness with me? Is Do we need to have a conversation? Like, have I done something to create some kind of um, – you know, tension in our relationship, you know, with anyone in my family. Or is this we all need to just watch Toy Story 4 and eat popcorn and and not be like creating or doing something, but just
0: taking a break. So
1: that's the most difficult thing. And and sometimes my resolve is a little tired. And so I'm also tired and, and not knowing what I need and so there's a lot of growing and constant learning around that what is what does one child do when they just really need things to slow down for a minute and because there's we're all different we all manifest that differently so it's and then also not just me being in charge of that but nurturing that trait in my children so that they know how to say i've reached my limit and to take a break
0: and would you say <laughs> that's how you practice mindfulness, right? Is there a specific way or just kind of that's how you practice mindfulness throughout your day? Um, and again, this is pre-quarantine. So you you go through your day and is there a specific intentional time that you practice mindfulness? Or everything that you actually just explained to me sounds to me like that's how you implement mindfulness throughout your day. Is You're able to stop, take a breath reflect and be present and be like okay what what exactly mm-hmm. is going on here is mm-hmm. um, so so my question to you is uh, do you have a specific time where you um, practice mindfulness or is it literally just bleed through your day because
1: you've implemented it throughout your life I work to be constantly mindful and one of the big I mean one of my favorite Books is called Self Compassion by Christine Neff. And um, she has this beautiful way. I will not be able to quote her, but she and her researchers have come to conclude that there's a big difference between awareness and judgment. And I had an aha moment several years ago where I realized that most of my thoughts happen. Because of people around me, situations, my brain is quite active. And what I've realized is that in striving to be mindful, the activeness of my brain has not stopped. It's my reaction that has stopped. I think that's So awesome. I no longer judge my thoughts. I just don't allow myself. Mm. I just choose to be aware of them.
0: I think that's a misconception, people, when they think about mindfulness and being present is like clearing your mind, nothing's in there, but it's quite the Mm -hmm. opposite. You're Mm -hmm. allowing your mind to be that and you're more reflective and understanding of your mind.
1: Yeah. In fact, the big shift for me has been when, like classic scenario, you wake up in the morning, you didn't get a great night's sleep. Your body hurts. You're feeling sluggish. You don't know what you want to eat. It's like the typical morning of just like, bleh. Yeah. And years ago, I used to instantly jump into judgment of my situation. And then that judgment would lead to thoughts about how my day was going to go. And one of the words that I have started just infusing Every time I have a thought or a, a sensation in my body, I say, "Interesting." Ooh, I like and it's that. powerful because yes. it's like, and it's not like interesting. You know, it's not <laughs> a, it's not like a judgmental interesting. It's more of a like, oh, your body's tired and you didn't sleep well. I think huh. about that. and then. And then the next question I ask myself every morning in mindfulness is What does my body need right now?
0: Wow, to be in touch with self like that. That's beautiful. I it's love it. It's fun. very inspiring. <laughs> um, it's fun. Alex told me of a word that maybe you can um, explain a little or a, a phrase the growth mindset tell me about the growth mindset
1: oh growth mindset is everything Mm. um of all of the books I've read in my life I think okay I have to sort of preface this um in my one of the things I noticed the most um in singing is that and this is not by any means, this is more of a curious thing for me. I have friends who came in with not very impressive talent, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, and, and they knew that. They knew that they were considered more of like the scholarly singer or whatever. And what I found in my life of per, like looking at successful singers is that A, the first component I've seen consistently is that they all make bad sound from time to time. Wow. But how they responded to like an inaccurate pitch, singing out of tune, inaccurate rhythms, they were much quicker to look in and go, huh, okay, so I think I sing a quarter note. And there wasn't judgment. Mm. it was like fascinating to me. My brain just exploded
0: growth mindset. Like I got it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, because instead of judgment, instead of beating yourself up, you're taking it and growing
1: as an opportunity to learn in. Um, and, and so what I found is, I mean, the chasm is wide and huge. What we do in a practice room versus what we can do when you put 2000 people in the hall. I mean, that, that is what separates the pros from people who are good at what they do. Right. Okay. It's that extra element. And I've always been fascinated by who are the people that that chasm is this big, you know, just an inch that there's such a small difference between what they do in the practice room and when there's 2,000 people in the room with them. What kind of security is that? And that's what I want to build in a human being. Wow. Work ethic and the ability to know that it doesn't matter how many people are in the room. What you do consistently is is the path. And what about the joy in that, right? There's literally no joy in being an expert. And in her book, um, Growth Mindset, um, you know, she, she doesn't say you will ever be an expert. In fact, when you have a growth mindset, you come to conclude that you will never be an expert at anything.
0: Because doesn't that keep you growing? Doesn't that keep you interested, keep you wanting to learn?
1: Yeah. It also changes the playing field for a performer Mm. because if it's your last performance, if it's an audition and it's your only chance to show people what you have or what you can do in growth mindset, there's no such thing. Every time you sing is an opportunity to learn and that can be wide, right? It can be, Oh, you know, I didn't get to the space soon enough for me and so next time i think it would help me feel more settled if i got to the performance space 10 minutes earlier wow so it's it's never thinking that it's doomsday or that you can beat yourself up for any reason it's what did i do how did that work for me did it or did it not work and if it didn't work then Let's try something else next time.
0: And I see that as mindfulness. Really. I don't think anyone would be like, oh, that's exactly mindfulness. I mean, unless they were really familiar with it, they would see. But um, again, going back to people kind of misinterpreting what mindfulness is or whatnot and just kind of the um mode, but it's not. It's it's taking a step back and and looking inside and seeing yourself right now, that being present, Mm -hmm. just
1: like what you explained. That's awesome. Mm I also think as you bring up mindfulness, something that's incredibly important to me um, is there, there, there are a fair amount of people that believe that athletic edge, right. That performer's edge comes from a harsh rigidity Mm -hmm. or from You know, just being brutally strong. And I don't know that I disagree with them per se, but I do believe there are two ways, maybe three ways of developing strength. And I think that the mind, when it is strong and when it's malleable and adaptive. And so I've noticed for myself and for many of my students that. It is impossible to be malleable and adaptive as long as the critic is on your shoulder. Wow. So I strive myself to consistently catch the critic. And I love Big Magic. Um anyone who has never read it, I would say go get it now.
0: Am I taking um,
1: <laughs> because I love love, love, love the way Elizabeth Gilbert talks to her critic Mm. or talks to fear. I think in her book she describes the critic as fear. And so I don't I don't engage in a fight with my critic anymore. I actually see my critic as my friend, but I know for a fact that there's a voice that's no longer the critic. It's an external voice I learned in society that isn't my critic. And when that voice comes in, that's the danger zone. And I have to be assertive with that voice. And I have to know that that's actually not my voice. That's not me. That's something else. That's something I picked up in society. And that's not authentic me. So, I can't live with that voice inside. And so I have a name for that voice. And I tell that voice with all due respect, please be quiet. You're so And then my critic, I'm it. like, hey, I hear you, boo. I know what you're up to. Me too. I want to sing a tune. I want great legato. I want this phrase to be what Mozart dreamt about. But you know what? I need you to just kinda hang out for a minute. Cause I I gotta like get my hands in the sand and I gotta build something right now. And you're kind of interrupting that process. Can you can you be in charge of my rhythms or you know, and that may make me sound like I'm crazy, but it's 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 a delight to be in my mind when I'm learning music. I love if I it. I can balance those three voices. <laughs>
0: Well, the recognizing, and I was going to ask you, how did you come to recognize the social voice, the the voice outside of you?
1: Um, you know, I honestly think it was, um, reading a blog post. Um, it was a girl's blog post post and I don't even remember much about her, but someone brought it to my attention um, because they had read this blog post and it, it, it made them sob and, and it upset them and they wanted to know my response and my feeling about it. And um, it was a blog post, someone like sort of fighting back to the, like, self-love movement saying if you're overweight you should be relentless with yourself you should punish yourself you should beat yourself up every day because how are you going to get where you need to go and I was like reading this and I was like and at the time I had kids and they've been an incredible mirror for me um and Again, going back to what we talked about earlier, that it's through love that children learn. Mm. And I just thought, what if I talk to my kids this way about one of their personality things? The result would be horrific. And I was reading this blog post, and then I did the worst, like going down the rabbit hole ever. I read the comments. (laughs) Oh, no. And there was so much fat shaming. Mm. And it did two things for me. It one validated that so many of the messages I've been told in my life, I didn't make up. They're there. And that if I'm going to build resilience to that, I have to decide how I want to talk to myself. And I thought, it is just not in my nature and it never has been to beat someone up when they're down. Never. It's never effective.
0: Why do we do I, it's it just ourselves?
1: never been my way. Mm. And I, and I know people who do, um, and I don't necessarily dislike them, but you know, it's, it's not who I am. Yeah. And so <laughs> that was sort of the first. Ictus, if you will, for realizing, that so much of my external world mm-hmm. had been um, not effective, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and for me, weight has always been an issue. So it was very easy for me to connect with that topic, right? I think that's a component that's important to talk about too. Um, so it was very real. It wasn't something that I could just detach from because I don't struggle with that. Um, and then there was reading in the comments, there was just one person who said one line and she said, you can't take care of something you don't love. Wow. And that was her response. And I, so I texted my friend immediately who had asked me to read this and I said, I'm sobbing over that because that's probably the most real thing out of all of it. The rest of it was just kind of like people reacting and and, and it was just messy, but that was clear and it was focused and it was profound. Yes. Wow. And so in every component of my life, I decided to think about that. How how can I, with, you know, the things that are thrown at you as a professional singer with kids, I mean, kids don't throw up only on days you don't have gigs. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't have tantrums only on days you don't sing the hardest performance of your life. No, they're like 40 seconds before you walk out the door. Um... And so with all of that stress and pressure and I thought I'm going to really evaluate that voice. And and it was it took probably months to figure out that that voice wasn't mine. It was someone else's. It was an it was an external voice I had learned to internalize. And then I'm a little bit stubborn, okay, I'm a lot stubborn. <laughs> And I decided, well, I'm not going to let someone else's voice rule my life. You know, it was Great. kind of that big, like, I'll be damned if I'm going to allow yeah. this kind of negative, mean. You know. I love how you recognized it. You recognized it and said, yeah, I'm not going to,
0: that's not inside of me. I'm not going to listen to that.
1: Yeah, I was like, ew, if you want to live your life that way, gross.
0: But I am in control of my life, and this is me, and these are my thoughts, and these are, that's really amazing. And going back to the mindfulness where you're able to stop, internalize, and see what is, I mean, really, I think a lot of, in a really simplistic way, one could say mindfulness is asking why. You know, if you
1: could, the most simplistic
0: way to describe it is why, why did I have that thought? Why did, you know, and and you continue the why, um, I mean, you could break it off to where did that come from and and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, when you, when you take that introspect and ask yourself why, or, or maybe even, like I said, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's kind of the first, I, I mean, I'm not. Professionally saying that, but that seems to me the first question that you could stop and and turn inside of your mind and, and kind of start inquiring of where your thoughts are coming from and are they your thoughts and what mm-hmm. can, because somebody else may be listening might be. I, I would love to get to that point, right? I This is something that you've been able to take in your life, which is so inspiring. I, I am truly inspired and so excited to continue my days asking myself, you know, stopping, thinking about what's going on. What can I do for my body? What can I do for myself? Why am I feeling this way? And uh, really grow. I, okay, so I, I was thinking of something that you, while you were um, speaking about growth, Something I've always told my children is change is the only constant, or the only constant is change. It's something that's helped me because you can't stay stagnant. Think of how a pond smells. It doesn't have any water moving through it, and it's gross. It's stagnant. I mean, you can really have that visual imagery, almost senses there, but uh, change is inevitable, and it's necessary. And so going back to what you had said, about um constantly wanting to grow, constantly wanting to learn. I love that. And coupling that with mindfulness and being able to um go inside your mind and ask yourself and and have that growth mindset. Wow. Like seriously, I'm just like, "Oh, I'm so excited these are things I'm going to implement and and really focus on because especially right now if we're going to go with current events, there's a lot of stuff going on that's outside of our control. What can mm-hmm. we control? What can we do? And, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. up to us. It's up to us what we want to do with that. And if we're going to um, take a forced vacation, if you will, <laughs> even though it might not be a true vacation for a lot of us, uh, mm-hmm. going back to the quote unquote busy, the full life. Um, I don't know about you, but I have definitely s- taken my um, priorities. My priorities have changed since we've been under this quarantine. I've realized Mm -hmm. what's more important in my life and what I was putting in my life that maybe I didn't need to, or what I was spending a little too much time on when I should have been spending a little more time on this other thing or whatnot. It's, Mm -hmm. It's kind of helped me step back and focus on my, my, my own mindfulness for sure.
1: That's great. That's great. For me, what has made, um, being in quarantine manageable, um, because that's the thing. I think mindfulness is a practice. It's not a dense destination. So one of, and, and that's sort of adding it on your, um, your adage about change is the only thing that is constant. Um, you know, I think for me, discomfort in life comes around my expectations of myself. Um, and what is a beautiful thing is to look at beginnings, right? So anytime my environment, my job, anything that changes in in my life, the first thing I look to is, um, I like to remind myself that there's a massive learning curve And so when there's a learning curve in place, if I'm going, if I'm waking up every morning and being like, it's 10 AM, no one's out of bed. You haven't done your workout. This is great. This is the road we're going to go down. And everybody's going to be miserable in quarantine. I mean, that is the way the human brain likes to kind of many for many, myself included. And I spent the first week just being curious, like, "Mm, interesting. We're all a bit more hungry. And I denied the temptation to judge that and think, oh, well, we're all going to gain weight. Or, right? But I'm like, interesting. Huh. And I noticed then that most of the food we were eating didn't have a lot of fiber. So I was like, okay, we'll just add more fruits and vegetables. So every meal now I put out fruits and vegetables on a plate. Uh, but I feel like at the beginning life felt pretty chaotic. Yeah. And I was getting email after email, um, three kids, three different schools, five emails a day. It's easy to start having this expectation that I'm going to know how to manage this. Right. Yeah. But like, if I've, reached mindfulness that I'm somehow going to be able to handle everything thrown at me and there's going to be no discomfort and I'm like of course there's going to be discomfort the mindfulness in me absolutely embraced the discomfort at the beginning and used the discomfort as a model if you will of like okay We've gone from no routine or from lots of routine to no routine overnight. Yep. So let's implement some kind of routine. So the first thing, and you know, it really is through just not expecting myself to know how to navigate difficult situations just because I've navigated old difficult situations doesn't make me more or less equipped to do anything than anyone else.
0: So what It's I mean,
1: just being present and recognizing what is working and what isn't and making those um, adjustments quickly. And in quarantine and in feeling like we can handle this and there's going to be lots of messes and lots of learnings, my boys played their most successful piano recital yet to date last night. Wow. Both of them were struggling to to remember pitches, to remember rhythms, and both of them played flawlessly at the recital. That's wonderful. Isn't that cool?
0: Yeah. When you had mentioned you just kind of sit and observed, you, by allowing everything around you, by allowing your feelings to happen, you and learn from that. Like, I've never really thought about that, but to be able to observe things and then go with it like that that's wonderful what a what a great piece of advice really something that my fiance's always told me and it's funny because i've always been a little bit more into mindfulness and different things and he's very much a man's man Ah. (laughs) and he's about the most mindful person i've ever met he's helped me through so many difficult situations where he's like why are you fighting your emotions it's okay just allow it to happen. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like, do you realize what you just said? <laughs> like naturally, you know what to say, but it's, it's true. It, you know, the less we fight our own internal feelings and what's going on and sit back, observe them, allow them to happen. This sounds like a really weird analogy, but when I was pregnant with my first, I kept going into labor. And of course there's the Braxton Hicks. And then there's the, you know, you just don't really know what, what to do with all these pains. And is it really lasting the time that it's supposed to? And, and how much of it is, I don't want to say force but like, you know, when you tense and you, you tend to fight something. Anyway, I went into the hospital for like the third time. And one of the nurses said, she watched me as I was going through the contraction, because ultimately what was going on is nothing was happening. with My body, I was getting all these pains, but nothing was happening. And, um, I would go into the hospital and relax because now I was in the hospital. Um, and so they'd send me home because I, anyway, whatever was causing my body, she watched me through one of the, uh, the contractions and she's like, you need to stop fighting the pain. She's like, <laughs> let it happen. Let it do its thing. And I had the baby the next morning. Like it was amazing, but just by that allowing, and this is a physical pain. This isn't even just the emotional thoughts. Um, It was amazing to me, and I always go back to it, how naturally and organically things happen when we stop
1: fighting it. It's huge. It's huge. It's been a gift to me. Mm. Um, When I allow my feelings to be, um, it's in the resisting that the pain really comes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The when I'm like,
1: ooh, that stung. And I sit with it mm-hmm. and it's not right or wrong. I'm far less to lash out at someone because, you know, maybe what they said was or wasn't insensitive. And how do we really debate that? I mean, there are obvious things. And I am the first to know how important an apology is when something is insensitive because the thing is everything's insensitive when we don't know what someone else is going through. It's true. And that's where um I used to be really um curious about that because I've noticed in my life that some people are so very rarely influenced emotionally by other people's responses or actions and that has always been fascinating to me because that seems like an emotional awareness that is strong and and what an amazing trait and i perceive those kinds of things as something i can develop in myself and so um i think that you can't evaluate someone else's reaction to you or someone else's insensitivity in a healthy way unless you first begin with evaluating your own reaction emotionally to those things because some people don't have my life story and I don't have other people's life story and I'm far more readily um I can acknowledge and apologize easily When I realize that um, emotions happen and they can be quickly let go. Mm. They don't have to have power over me because I can allow it and release it. Whereas if I try to fix it or blame someone or make it go away and have this idea that I never gonna feel left out or or feel misunderstood or um feel sort of like picked on or any of those things um you know it's part of the human experience and so um but I'm also very um you know having children has really taught me that we also have to tell people what's appropriate it's okay and that's, boundaries. that's the other thing about mindfulness is when you allow yourself to feel, you know, when you can say that versus when it's something that needs to just let lie, because it's just an emotion that's going to work through you. And at the end of the day, we're all going through this together.
0: Yeah. I agree. I had a, I'm very um, visual. And so I had this poetic imagery for you if you will when you're talking about allowing instead of fighting thoughts that come in or emotions or feelings and I thought of this big gust of wind and if we try to stop it it's hard and there's resistance and it's not okay and it's just this constant fight but if you just let it blow through your little house your mind it it happens and it goes through, and it goes on, and it's okay, you're better for it, you're worse for it, whatever it is, you learn from it, right? That's no judgment, you just learn from it. But you let it happen, and then it's it's done. That's how I feel like when I allow my emotions, when I, there was a time I was getting so frustrated, it was quite a few months ago, and I was in my closet, and I was really getting frustrated with getting dressed. <laughs> there was obviously, it was the smoke, the, the fire was something else, but I was just ah. And uh, my fiance said, or first of all, I said, I just, I just want to jump out a window. Ah, and I was so frustrated. And he's like, just let it, let it happen. Just allow it just go with it. And I'd never really been told that before going back to when I had kind of mentioned how he has helped me to see things and allow things to happen. But yeah, my, my whole life, I think that, um, I've always tried to fight it back, you know, be, Mm -hmm. be strong, be, you know, we, we tend to set these expectations with either children sometimes or, whatever Mm -hmm. the conditioning in our life has presented. But um, I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to, as you've said, teach your children, you know, and and create a better future. I'm sorry to go like deep, but (laughs) it's just like, if we can teach our children these things and let Mm -hmm. them continue with it, and then they are able to teach their children. And going back to this last weekend with um, my fiance's kids and how I was fighting how they were acting, versus allowing them to feel what they were feeling trying to get mm-hmm. an understanding maybe of what was going on in their life um, totally different scenarios totally different feelings and um, the connections started to be made when I allowed them to feel mm-hmm. what they were feeling and anyway I just I think that's wonderful
1: I love that so much I have two things to add to that because I have a student who is so so mindful. Every time, he is the most present human being I've ever met. And he and I were talking about the importance of mindfulness and about being malleable. And we were talking about malleability in regard to singing and how voices that are malleable and can move are actually the strongest and most efficient in singing. and. He said that it reminded him of a parable and something true in nature, that the strongest wood in nature comes from trees that actually bend the most in the wind. Bamboo.
0: That
1: was not the first
0: thing in my brain that I was envisioning. Wow.
1: And that is what I think of every time I have a challenge that I feel, I'm like, Am I ever going to reach a point where I don't feel discomfort over growing? And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's a destination point." There's no such thing. Mm-hmm. In growth mindset, we never arrive. We're constantly learning, right? And um and and when you're mindful and you pause for a minute and you realize the emotion is is not to be fought with. It's to allow. Um I had this moment in watching someone else's parenting now as a I do just have to say that I'm I'm very careful not to judge people's parenting as like a you should never do that like mm-hmm. you know I I feel like parenting is the easy way to judge people nowadays and everyone can do it and get away with it um unfortunately I don't hear a lot of people talk about the experience of being a parent. And I feel in many ways, the generation that's raising kids right now has challenges that no one has had before us. We have more information, more medication, more electronic devices, more responsibilities, less support systems in place. We can't leave our kids in the car and just run into the you know to to put mail in the mailbox. I mean, we are faced with different challenges. and I feel like when that comes it would be really nice if people could consider that in parenting nowadays. that we have challenges that are different. Um, and and many of those challenges uh, that are challenges are also blessings if we use them correctly, right? But I, I witnessed someone once, um, a parent came in, didn't really see what happened, but saw that the kid was, the child was hysterical. And the parent just kept insisting that the child stop crying. Mm. Stop crying. This isn't that big of a deal. Stop crying. And the crying became more intense. The crying then became lip quivering, right? And in that moment, I, I don't feel that the parent was being me. I feel like that's the way the parent talked to themselves through life. Yeah. Buck up, show up, leave the emotion behind. I very much know people that way, and I very much had identified with that many times in my life. Um, but what I observed in that moment is that it didn't work. Right. And so for the next year of my life, I did an experiment. And every time my kids were upset, I tried just saying nothing. I'm just holding them. And in a year's time, I noticed that they didn't cry as much when they'd fall over and they'd be obviously bleeding, they'd be like, oh, it's okay. It'll get better. I know how to fix this. And I said less and did less than I had been doing for years because I grew up with parents that bucked up. And when you didn't give kids tough love, you weren't loving them because you weren't giving them essential tools to handle life. That was their... That was how they were raised. That is what they knew, right? So in no way was there ever malicious intent, right? It's just the best that you knew how. Yeah. And so I was like, well, if this doesn't work and my kids turn into, you know, disasters, I'll stop. But I only noticed that it got better and better. And The second they'd cry, I'd pick them up and I'd just hold them and I'd say nothing. I'd just rock them. Wow. And within a year, I had kids who were far better at managing their emotional upheaval. So I don't know what that's worth, um, but it's definitely taught me so much about my own internal voice and what I'm saying. So like when I work out and I'm feeling the real like pain of working out plus the disappointment of like not being an athlete or you know what I mean, whatever it is we feel when we work out or not being able to do something as well as you want and remembering that if I am kind to myself, if I don't act like those feelings are just going to go away or that I should just instantly stop them and have some superhero like power to do that. Um, within three breaths, I'm moving through that move and I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know?
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's, it's actually very, um, again, I've said this throughout the interview, but it's very inspiring. Like I'm, I'm excited to implement that with my kids. Sometimes I talk a little too much sometimes i just seem to hold just need to allow mm-hmm. them to feel that it's it's like a sense of validating what they're feeling they're feeling we're not fighting it we're not telling them it's wrong in in unspoken words sometimes even well not unspoken but like mm-hmm. sometimes between our words we we kind of give that impression that it's not okay to cry mm-hmm. and like you said you know the parent that was like stop crying because in our mind we just uh you know, I've, I've been there when my children were super young. That was, that was, uh, when you made that comment, I'm like, yeah,
1: I've been there <laughs> and that, yeah. that wasn't okay. And it, it never oh, yes. presented the
0: results that we wanted.
1: And, and, and that's the other thing too, is it goes full circle, right? It's not just a, it's not something we just give our kids. It's something we give ourselves Yeah, because I've definitely been that mom. That's like throwing a Nerf gun saying we'll never be hoarders, you know, i <laughs> being like, what just happened, you know, <laughs> losing my mindfulness for a few minutes. And I think that that's, that's the concession, right? Is that like, I have to make that concession for myself too, because I'm learning on this journey as well.
0: Yeah.
1: And then when I'm like gentle with myself, I realize that that one girl's voice has been in my head all day. Mm. Right. And then I'm reminded, oh, I just spent a day of not being mindful.
0: Because it's okay. not
1: perfection. Mindfulness is not perfection. It's a practice. Right. But if I were to, if I were not to give the same concession to myself, right, I'd be like, well, you need to buck up. That's not appropriate behavior. And then we'd all have a really uncomfortable meal at dinner because mom is like in some weird world, right? Yeah. Instead of just like mom being like, hey guys, guess what? Here's what happened today. There's a lot of pressure to be a specific kind of mom. And mom lived in that head all day. Like the voice of like, well, you're not this and you're not this enough. And you're not like mom lived in that world all day. And then she just snapped and she did something she's not proud of. And I want to apologize to you for that. And I love you. And I'm sorry. And then I can go on. And I know that I'm not perfect and that I am going to make mistakes and I'm going to feel things like my kids. I'm not a parent. They're not a kid. We're in this together. Mindfulness is definitely not about letting go of routine. I know a lot of people who think, the world exists and functions when there's order in place. Um, we don't have time for everyone to cry and have a meltdown. We have things to do. And, you know, I very much understand that perspective because I am a routine girl. I like to know laundry's done on Monday. I separate my darks from my whites. I do the darks first. I put the on- the laundry away in a certain way. but now that i understand what causes my discomfort and my unhappiness is if i'm not able to adapt should something happen on a monday um if i can't just breathe through it if if at first i go oh that means laundry is going to drag out all week and i feel discomfort because my routine is thrown off i allow myself to feel those feelings And then I just kind of go, and then I just focus on being present to whatever it is that's taken me out of laundry. Should it be um, one time we had to take my son to the ER to have an appendectomy. So whatever was on the list for that day didn't get done. Right. And it's not, do I sit in nervous land all day being like, how am I going to get that done? How am I? No, I just stay present with him. And I imagine that bamboo bending in the wind and knowing it won't break, you know, that um, there will be time to do everything. And I do have limits and I need to know those limits. Yeah, that's important.
0: It's important. Yeah. Key elements, routines, allowing with that mindfulness and, and boundaries for sure
1: to bring a nice set of balance. <laughs> I think the routine and the structure is one of the harder things um, in the mindfulness pursuit.
0: Would you say like with um, if we could go into the imagery, the allowing the bamboo to be so firm and hard but yet so flexible. So routine yeah. and structure, but yet, and that's that hard, that rigid almost, but learning that it doesn't have to be the oak. You know, routine doesn't have mm-hmm. to be like <laughs>
1: um, right, right. That it's you know, is is your routine. I think it's something everyone has to ask themselves, myself included. How strong are you? If how committed are you? If, like for instance, this happens daily when I'm doing laundry, there's ultimately a moment that my, the laundry's done. I'm ready to fold. I'm at that point. And I know every minute I postpone puts me into longer laundry day, long, 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 lo, <laughs> longer laundry day. Um, And so it's just the awareness that the laundry will be there. That. It doesn't throw my day um, to the wayside if I take five minutes and read a story with my toddler and focus on whatever it is he needs in that moment and just stay present. In fact, it it's more efficient in many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, going back to like children and receiving their validation you give them that little bit of attention that they need in the moment and then they're good. It's like, you just fed them for a week. <laughs> no, yeah. you know, they just, they go. And it's like, the more you push them away, the more you fight that wind from allowing it and stuff, it's like they just keep coming at you and you're like, but I got to get this done, but I got to get this done. And it's just, it's a constant battle versus take that minute. Children really, I'm for the most part, there's a lot of different variables I understand, but, um, They'll be appeased, and then they go about playing and parallel playing or whatever it is. Um, But they usually get that validation. Usually, I want to say satiates them, (laughs) but you know, yes, it it does. I agree. Yeah, I'm so glad to have had this conversation with you. It's been so fun and so Me insightful too. and inspiring and I appreciate you so much and I, I hope this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship <laughs> Me I, too. I can't wait to meet you, in and, you know, when,
1: when we can actually go out we should go and get some coffee And I would love that
0: I would absolutely and I would
1: love that. to hear more about your story and coming to mindfulness I think that is my favorite thing to hear from people
0: it, it was amazing changed my life Changed my therapy. It was the turning point of fighting everything. And all of a sudden, having that allowance is like true change. And Mm -hmm. I'm off my medicine. I'm way more stable than I've ever been. It's amazing. And it's it's not like this uh, strict change, you know, like, oh, you have this rigid regimen that you've got to follow. It's just those simple things that you incorporate into your life mindfulness and, and journey. That was that's one thing in our little goal, mission statement of mindful living is we're here to help our clients in their journey and intentional healing and teaching them, you know, the self-sustaining tools. Those are phrases that you hear often throughout mindful living. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's just about allowing and teaching and and it being a journey, a true journey. I think I've known that for a long time that life and and true growth is is not a destination. Like it's a journey and you enjoy it. That's
1: really great. Yeah, yeah I well, think okay. I spent most of my 20s thinking there was a destination point. Hmm. And I can honestly admit that because I've learned that I didn't know any better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm just doing the very best I could. And I had some really good coping skills and not so great coping skills and throwing
0: baby food across the kitchen when I was freaking out. Right. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it was art.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was along the wall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. I'm very glad to be um, on the, the I'm I'm glad to have walked the paths I've walked and I don't want to walk them again. <laughs> I'm glad they're in my rearview mirror, but you know, that's not to say that what's in front of us is, you know, it's going to be a journey, but I, I think the thing that gives me strength is knowing that I have some great coping skills and the, the knowledge now of mindfulness. It's huge. It's really, Mm -hmm. truly wonderful thing. And I'm meeting more and more therapists, talk therapists that are incorporating mindfulness. And I love that. Absolutely love that. It's really great. Thank you so much for joining us. It was so nice to have you, Aubrey, on today's podcast. I just wanted to leave you all with a poem that I find inspiring and a little bit of resilience amidst everything that's going on right now. Your best stories will come from your struggles. The seeds of your successes are in your failures. Your praises will be birthed from your pains. Keep standing. I have never seen a storm last forever. Seasons Change. This poem was by Cynthia A. Buchan-Bale. We hope you've been inspired, encouraged, and learned a little bit about what mindfulness looks like. Everybody have a mindful week.